0: Good morning. Glad you're all here today. Let me tell you, normally, first of all, didn't the band do an incredible job for us this morning? They're awesome. Uh Normally, normally I'm in the band, and I, I don't know if you noticed, but when you're in the band, you've got these uh, in-ear monitors, headphones in, and so that's so you can hear the count and the click and where we're going and everything, so everybody stays together, so we don't train wreck in front of you, um, and so we have that going in our ears, which means we can only hear what we plan to hear or what's going on on stage, but today, since I wasn't in the band today, I was, back, I was just rocking back here backstage, dancing and singing and doing all that over here in the wings, and uh, I, let me tell you something, I don't usually get to hear you. And I heard you today. <laughs> that was awesome. You're good singers. Did you know that? You're good singers. We should, We got mics up here, by the way. They grab you. You didn't know that, but yeah, you're good singers. And it was so great to hear you singing. Um, and singing it was the last song before the uh, band went through "Awesome God" at the end. Uh, this is "Amazing Grace." This is this is so important, and it's what we're doing in the series on Galatians. This is "Amazing Grace." This is unfailing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. Amen. You laid down your life so I could be set free. What, what incredible lyrics, and it's exactly what we're talking about in the series and what we're learning from the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and turn there. We're in Galatians chapter 3. And what Paul is doing overall, if this is your first time with us, you can still catch up. I think we're like eight weeks into this series So that's, you know, that's a few drives to work to catch up on the the series. Um, But what Paul is doing is he's talking to the Christians that are in a region called Galatia. There's multiple churches there, and he's speaking to them because they've been confused by other people that have come in from the outside, and Jeremy talked a little bit about this during worship, but they've come in from the outside, and they're trying to confuse the Christians in Galatia and say, no, Jesus is not enough for salvation, it's Jesus plus the law, because these are these are um, uh, Gentiles in Galatia. They're not Jewish by heritage. So these Jews are coming in, and they're saying, yes, it's Jesus, but it's also the law. Yes, you also have to get circumcised. You also have to observe the Sabbath. You also have to serve the feasts and festivals and tithe and eat, eat uh, kosher, and you need to do all of these things that are talked about in the law. It's not just Jesus. And they've confused them. And so Paul is writing this letter to these Christians in Galatia to set the record straight that it's not Jesus plus the law, or it's not Jesus plus any man made rule. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. That salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and not of any works of man. And so he is just beating that drum, beating that drum, beating that drum, and doing it in different ways. And today he's going to beat that same drum, but he's going to come at it from a different angle. He's going to use a proof case to make his point. And so we're in Galatians chapter 3. I'm just going to read our whole text for today uh, at one time, and then we are going to go back through it. And I don't think it's going to be on the screen quite yet. I don't know if they put the whole thing on the screen or not, but if not, just listen along with us, and then we'll go back through it bit by bit. Galatians chapter 3, we're starting in verse in verse 6. All right, make sure I'm in the right place. Here we go. So his example is going to be Abraham. He was going to prove that this is the case through Abraham. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. One thing you're going to notice, by the way, as we go through, Jess is laughing because I'm going to, I said I was going to read it all the way through. And she knew I was going to stop and talk in the middle. But (laughs) for the the most part, I'm going to read all the way through this. All right. So one thing I just want to point out so that you see it as we're we're going, that he is going to, in this section, quote multiple times from Old Testament passages. In your groups this week, you're going to look at every single one of those in the original uh, verse, and you're going to talk about what it means and what's going on and why he quotes it. All right. So you're going to do that in group this week. Now I'm going to read it without interruption. All right. Verse six. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For, quote, the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it's only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. All right, so let's go through this, talk about what all this means, because it's a lot to bite off. Uh, And we were talking about Abraham. Some of you are very familiar with Abraham. Some of you might not be as familiar with Abraham. Now, I can't go through his entire life or give you all the context of his life today. Don't have time for that. But I will point you to a couple messages we did in the summer. Um, Ben Collins did a message on Abraham. Uh, You remember Father Abraham. It was on Father's Day. And Ben had his very Abrahamic beard for that message. So he talked about Abraham in particular. And then Jeremy, a few weeks later, talked about Sarah, who is his wife. And he spent time talking about Sarah. And so that gets some more of the context of Abraham and what we're talking about here. But if we go way back, God created man, created man to have a special relationship with man, special that is different from all the rest of the creatures. She's laughing. I had a little middle school voice squeak there. Uh, but anyway, all the creatures. And, <laughs> but that relationship, for the first part of that relationship for many, many years, that relationship was without structure. So think about the days of Noah and those times. It was before God brought structure to this relationship. And then he decided to formalize this relationship, to add structure and promise to this relationship, and to begin that with a man named Abram. Abram and Abraham are the same person, if you see those names in Scripture. So he starts with, I'm going to call him Abraham, just to, uh, so there's no confusion. But he chooses Abraham, and he chooses to build a nation through Abraham. okay? His chosen people, his family. And God makes several promises to Abraham. He promises him land, particular land that he will inhabit and hold, he promises him descendants, which Abraham and Sarah found laughable because they were so old when this happened. And uh, uh, Jeremy talked about that specifically in his message on Sarah. All right. He promised them descendants and he promised them that through him all nations would be blessed. Okay. And so God makes this promise to Abraham and Abraham starts this relationship with God, and they start moving forward with it, and some pieces of it start happening. God tells Abraham to leave. Abraham starts moving, start heading toward this land, but he doesn't fully possess the land, and as they're going forward and some time passes, Abraham still doesn't have a son, and in order to have descendants, in order to have, he doesn't have any children, he has to have children, and he's wondering what in the world is going on with this. And so he goes to God, we read about this in Genesis chapter 15, you'll spend a little more time there in your groups this week as well. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham goes to God and basically says, if I can paraphrase, what's the deal? How's this going to work? I, you know, I, how, how am I supposed to have descendants when I don't have any, a son? And so God Tells him to look up at the sky. Presumably, he's outside somewhere. Presumably, it's nighttime. God says, look at the sky and look at the stars. Now, any of y'all ever been out in the middle of nowhere on a clear night and looked up at the sky? I know that that's, a, that's a more and more uncommon thing for us because we have so much light pollution. There's light everywhere from our houses and cities and everything. But you get out in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking the middle of nowhere on a clear night, and you look up, and it is unbelievable to think about how many stars there are. Or I've I've mentioned this before, not too long ago in messages, but if you see some of the images that are coming back from the the telescopes and that are are shooting into deep space, unbelievable. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, if you could count how many stars there were, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And then it says, and this is very important, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that's what's quoted. That's what Paul quotes. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for... Believed what? Believed that God would do what he said he was going to do. Yeah, amen. He didn't... The, I think there's an important distinction here. It's not that Abraham believed in God. Abraham had believed in God for a long time. There's a difference between believing in God and believing God. And there are a lot of people in our world and in our culture who believe in God, but they have not yet believed God. Like, so, and, and famously, you can see uh, famously, it's been said that even the demons believe in God. But they don't believe God. It's like if I was, um, if I turned on the TV and there was a a preacher on the news and the preacher said, I've read through the scriptures. I've done all the timelines. I've prayed. I feel like God has spoken to me and Jesus is going to return on January 1st, 2024. Well, first of all, I would be fairly confident that it wouldn't happen that day. Because Jesus himself said that nobody will know when he's returning. So somebody makes a statement like that, they're wrong. <laughs> so he said, he said, I don't even, at the time, he said, I don't even know when that day is coming. And you certainly won't either. So, so I know it's not going to happen that day. Um, but anyway, but second, here's the, thing about, here's the thing about that interaction. I believe in that preacher. He's there. I believe he exists. I know he exists. He's on the TV and he's talking to me, assuming he's not AI or something. I believe that he exists, but I don't believe him. I don't believe that what he's saying is true. And so when when the scripture says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was accounted for righteousness, it wasn't believing in God, it was believing God that God said he was going to give him descendants, and it didn't matter how old he was or how old his wife was, God was going to do what he said he was going to do. He was going to fulfill those promises. And then immediately after that, God makes a formal covenant with Abraham. After that, he makes a formal covenant with Abraham. And in that, in that culture, the way you make a covenant is you actually take animals and you split them in two, and you put one side on either side, and then you walk through the middle of it, and God puts Abraham to sleep And God passes through in between the animals, symbolizing that this covenant, this Abrahamic covenant, this covenant that he's made with Abraham is one-sided. It is unconditional. God has said he is going to do this, and here's your guarantee. Because Abraham said, well, what's, what's the sign going to be? What will I show people? What will I tell people? And then God does the ceremony. Abraham already believed God. Abraham didn't need the ceremony, but God gave him the ceremony as a sign. And so there's a guarantee that God is going to fulfill the promises that he's made to Abraham. And so Paul points out that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he says, therefore, this is verse 7, know that only those who are of faith, those who believe God, those who are of faith, are sons of Abraham. Now the Jews, they prided themselves because of their bloodline of being children of Abraham. They were genetically children of Abraham, and so they would say they were sons or daughters of Abraham. But Paul here says only those who are of faith, only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Because Abraham, you probably already know this, did have a son, did have children, did have descendants. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, Father Abraham. Right? I think Ben, ben dubbed this the Christian hokey pokey when he did his message on Abraham <laughs> this is what it is. Right? Yeah, Father Abraham did have many sons, but Paul says only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Because the promise isn't passed through bloodline. The pa- promise is passed by faith, by believing God. Amen. So he believed God, it was counted for righteousness, and only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The children of Abraham are not born of their parents' blood. Now we know they are born of Christ's blood. He says the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So the point Paul is making is this has always been the plan. It was never just for Israel. It was never just for the Jews. Even from the very beginning when God made his first promises to Abraham, it was always for everybody. And that promise is by faith. It's been the plan and the intent all along. The inclusion of the Gentiles for them is, it's not, it should not be a new thing, and it should not be surprising. But it was through Abraham that he was going to bless all nations. It was through this nation that he was going to bless all nations. Nations, the gospel is not new. It's always been the same. That we are justified not by works of the law, not by effort, not by doing enough good or avoiding enough bad. We are justified before God by faith, through faith. And it was necessary, and the the Jews and the nation of Israel look forward to this, and we look back to it. It was necessary for Christ, the Son of God, to give his sinless life on the cross in our place. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. And that's what Christ did for us. He made the final atoning sacrifice on the cross. He was placed into the tomb, and on the third day, he rose again in power. And the only way that we can be justified or made right before God is through him. That's it. We receive the grace of God. We don't work for it. We don't make effort. We receive it by grace. Now, we, we put forward a lot of work and a lot of effort after the fact, but it's not because we have to. It's not because we have to in order to secure our salvation. It's not because we have to to maintain our salvation. We put in a lot of work and effort to become like Christ because we want to become like Christ. Amen. Because we want to, because we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And so we do it willingly in the freedom that we have, not out of obligation under a rule or under a law. And so he says, so then in verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, I think this is an important point to make here, um, to point out and to clarify. There are some people out there that teach that because of this, because of what Paul says here, that what he's saying is that the church has replaced Israel, that God is done with Israel, and that now he's dealing with the church, and Israel has lost its chance, and so God is done with them, and now he's dealing only with the church. It's called replacement theology, and so I just want you to be aware of that. It is totally unbiblical, Amen. completely unbiblical. We, we dealt with that um, in our series of Romans. We spent Four weeks, I think, talking about the chapters in Romans that make it very clear that God is not done with Israel, that God has a plan for Israel, and that that's all going to convert in um, one day. So, so don't buy into that if you ever hear that. It's not that we have replaced Abraham or we have replaced Israel. We are blessed with believing Abraham. In in Romans, the way Paul talks about that is us being grafted in. We've been brought in to, ble- to receive the blessings. All right, so he says, let's move on from that. He says, for anybody who's uh, any are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So his point is that if you're trying to be justified by works of the law, then you are obligated to keep the entire law perfectly. Uh, you've already failed at that. I've already failed at that. And we will continue to fail at that. It can't be that way. But that no one is justified. This is verse 11 That no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just, quote, the just shall live by faith. Now, when he says live by faith, he's not talking about like the ongoing living of everyday life. He's talking about being justified before God. So the just live or are saved by faith. Okay? And he, that's one of his favorite quotes, by the way. I think it comes out of Habakkuk. It's one of his favorite quotes. He uses it three times in Scripture, or he uses it twice, and then it's used once in Hebrews, and we don't know if Paul wrote Hebrews or not. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. But it's used multiple times in the Scripture. The just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, he says, but the man who does them shall live by them. So he's saying if, if you are under the law and you're trying to be justified by the law, you're obligated to the entire law. And you will live or die based on your ability to perfectly keep the law. You want to do that? I don't want to do that. <laughs> I can't do that. Already failed? We'll continue to. No, the just live by faith. So we got to choose. We're going to live by faith. Or we're going to live by the law. If you choose the law, you got to do it perfectly. And you are under the curse. But there's good news. Verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So he said he's redeemed us. Redeemed is a financial term to buy back. It specifically was used of paying a ransom for someone who was held captive or buying the freedom of a slave. And so it has a deep, it's not just a financial term. It has a deep, powerful meaning. It is to take someone who is in bondage and to set them free and to to expend something of your own account in order to do that. And so Jesus has redeemed us from the curse. He has pulled us out from under the curse. So you can, make the, you can make the connection for Paul here. Why would you put yourself back under the curse if he's redeemed you from the curse? Why would you put yourself back under the law or under a system of rules if he's already pulled you out from that system of rules? All right, he has redeemed us from the curse. And it says that he became a curse for us, which is a, a crazy thing to think. And it's an odd thing to sort of picture or, or, or try to understand Paul puts it a different way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What he's talking about is something that theologians call the great exchange. And there are a couple of really important sort of theological or doctrinal concepts in here that it's helpful for us to understand and to hold very dearly. The first is the idea of the term is substitutional atonement. And what that means is that our sin needed to be atoned for. So Jesus substituted himself for us. He took he he stepped in our place and took the punishment for our sin. He took his sin upon him. And then also the idea of imputed righteousness. This is another term that's used. Imputed righteousness means that righteousness has been charged to our account. We receive the righteousness of God. We receive the righteousness of God. We actually have a, there's a song that we sing. Um, I think it's, I think it's gone. I think it's called Gone. Um, And it has a line in there that says, I have become the righteousness of God and the first time that I heard that song, I was hazy on this verse. And so the first time I heard that song, I was like, what's up with, like, we, and we filter all the songs we do with the lyrics to make sure that it's theologically accurate as close as we can. And uh, I listened to the song, and I heard that line. I was like, I don't know. That might be a deal breaker. I don't, know, I don't know. I became the righteousness of God. And then I went and researched and looked at it, and I'm like, oh, no, Paul said that in 2 Corinthians. So <laughs> that's, that's clean. That's good. All right. But what does that mean? What does it mean? It's this accounting idea that, that my sin has been charged to Jesus, but he did not become a sinner. My sin was charged to Jesus, but he did not become a sinner. And his righteousness has been charged to me, but I, that doesn't make me sinless. Okay? Okay. So we have traded, it's the great exchange, we have traded my sin for his righteousness, and that's what Paul is talking about here. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, so that uh, the blessing of Abraham might come upon all the Gentiles, all the nations, as was promised to begin with, and so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. His righteousness is accounted to me, and my sin is accounted to him. Verse 15, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it's only a man's covenant, and he's just giving an example. He said, Even in a man's covenant, yet if it's confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So he said, Even even a contract or a covenant between two people is binding. So imagine what a what a covenant between God and anyone is. It can't be broken. He said, now to Abraham and his seed where the promises made, he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. Which means the promise was that Abraham, that the, the blessing would come through Christ. And then would come to us through Christ. And I say this, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God, or beforehand by God, that it should make the promise of no effect. His point is, If Abraham was saved, was made righteous by believing in God, it was accounted to him as righteousness by believing in God. That came over 400 years before the law even existed. So what could the law have to do with it? And the law certainly couldn't annul the promise that God had already made to Abraham. So so there were people that were apparently saying that now, well, yeah, but the law came and that perfected things. And so that did away with the, the promise made to Abraham. And Paul's like, no, you can't do that. God's promises are true, and they are without end. And so uh, he had made the promise to Abraham. He will fulfill the promise to Abraham, and we are blessed with Abraham in that promise. God will do what he said he's going to do. Verse 18, for if the inheritance is of the law, it's no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. The point of this whole thing is God's word is good. It is good. It is true. His promises we can count on and we can depend on forever. And the way that we are saved is the same way that Abraham was saved. We believe God that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. We trust God. And for us, for them, it was looking forward to a redeemer, to a Messiah. For us, it's looking back to the cross and to the empty tomb and saying, God promised. God promised. That if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we trust him for salvation, then we will be saved. And so believing for us is believing him. Not just believing in him, but believing him. That that is true. And we're having the confidence to know that it's true. A promise is a promise. And the promise is unconditional. You and I can be counted righteous if we believe God as well. Trust Him for salvation. And I want to, just for clarity, I want to be clear about this. There's a lot of talk within Christian circles about the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God. Standing. Y'all know that one? You you grew up in church, you might know that one. Standing safe and secure from all our Standing, standing. I got to sing it like I'm in my dad's church. Standing on the promises of God. But... We need to be really clear about what those promises actually are and what they aren't. There's a lot of people that claim promises of God that are not promises of God. What has God promised us? He's promised us that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he will give us his grace and will justify us before him. He's promised us that. You can take that to the bank. There's nothing that can take that away. There's nothing that can shake that. There's nothing that can remove that from you. He has promised us That if we do that, we receive his spirit. And the spirit is with us and he guides us and he teaches us and he molds us and he changes us. He has promised, he's called the promised spirit in scripture. He's promised us that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. So no matter what we go through and no matter what we face, God is always with us and we are never alone. Never, ever, ever. And he loves us with a love that we can't even possibly comprehend. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He's promised us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. Now, that's not sin that would disconnect us from God or take our our salvation away or anything like that. But as we go through life and as we continue to sin, that creates a disruption in our fellowship and our relationship with God. And he said that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he's always here to mold us and bring us back in and receive us and to be in fellowship with us. And he has promised us that Christ is returning one day. And Christ will rule and he will reign here. And he will ultimately set everything back the way it's supposed to be. Those are promises of God. He's not promised us we're gonna get a certain job that we're gonna we're gonna be in a particular relationship or we're gonna have a certain income level or we're gonna get into a school or make a team or, or whatever. But those are things that you can stand on. Those are things that you can have confidence in. And so no matter what you're facing, it's very important that you never let, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, that you never let that be shaken in your life. Never let anyone make you question that. If you you feel like you don't have the power to do something or the ability to do something that God has asked you to do, Remember that He has promised you the Spirit, and the Spirit will carry you through and show you what you need to do and empower you in the ways you need to be empowered to do what God has asked you to do. If you feel like you're alone, or if you feel like God has abandoned you, it is not Him who's left. And so always know that He is with you, and He will not leave you or forsake you. If you feel like your sin has separated you so far from God that He would want nothing to do with you, or that He can't... He can't use you in any way. Know that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Your sin immediately and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if you're scared of the future and you don't know what's coming, you need to know that Jesus is returning sooner rather than later. It won't be January 1st, 2024, because I already said that, so that one's out. (laughs) But it could be Today. And that when Christ returns, he will rule, he will reign, and he will set things straight here like they should be. And so we can always have hope looking forward to that day. Don't let your foundation be shaken. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to say to the Galatians. Don't let your foundation be sh- shaken. Don't let anybody else take you, make you question it. Don't let anybody pull you back under a system of rules or regulations to, deter- to determine your behavior or say that's how you're justified before God. Don't let them do it. Keep your mind and your heart and your life Grounded and rooted in the truth, in the facts. All right, let's pray together. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for all that you are doing. The way that you're confirming, the way that you are strengthening, the way that you're leading us. And so, Father, uh, this morning, as we are here together as a family... And as we shut out the the noise that's around us all the time, news and people that we work with or go to school with, people who are trying to influence us or share their ideas with us, and we come together here in this place to ground ourselves in the word, to ground ourselves in the truth, to ground ourselves in the facts, I ask, Father, that, that in this moment together that you would take the foundation of our faith and you would cure it. You would make it rock solid so that nothing can crack it, nothing can move it, so that we can know exactly what our relationship with you is based on and then how to take that and how to live that, how to stand on your promises, how to stand on that foundation and then step into the world and in the freedom that we have and the joy that we have and in the hope that we have to be conformed into your image. Father, we thank you for that this morning. I pray that somebody here who has even for a long time believed in you, believed that you existed, that today they would choose to believe you That they would express their trust today in Jesus Christ for salvation. That they would recognize his death on the cross in their place. His resurrection on the third day. And that today they would say, God, I believe you. Jesus, I believe you. I believe that Jesus is the only way for me to be justified. The only way for me to be saved. And so today I'm putting my faith in Jesus to do that. And that today, God, that as, you, as they believe you in your grace, you account that to them for righteousness. And that they receive the righteousness of Christ even now. That that is put on their account. And to know that will always be on their account. And that as they walk through life, as they make mistakes, as they, as they learn what it means to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to be the child that you want them to be, that that is always on their account, that it will not be taken away. It will not be washed away. For all of us as we walk through life, different lengths of time, different kinds of journeys becoming more like Christ, that is on our account. You've given us the spirit. You will not leave us and you will not forsake us. You will forgive our sin as we confess it. And we know, Christ, that you're returning. We stand on all of these things. Christ, we we are looking for the day that you return. We talk about it, try to talk about it every time we get together. Jesus, let it be today. Let it be this week. Let it be soon. And as we wait, we will wait well. We will wait with faith. We will wait with trust. We will wait with confidence. We will wait with security. We will wait with humility. We will wait with love. We will wait with grace. Because we want, in the freedom that we have, we want our life to bring honor and glory to you. And we want to introduce as many people to this life and this freedom as we possibly can, to draw them into your family, that they too would believe God, that they would believe you and trust you. And as we walk through life and we face all different kinds of things, we will stay rock solid and secure. And so, Father, for my life, for the life of every single person who's here, firm us up, solid footing, that we may walk with faith and trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.